so we are back for episode three, Kenny. And um, we, you and I talked about um, that we're going to kind of do a, an extended character study of the patriarchs, or at least the early three, um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I do have to get something off my chest, though. Please I do, said the Brian. word symbology um, in one of our previous episodes, and it's from a movie, but it's not a real word, so I apologize. Well, I thought it was a real word, so... Of course you did. <laughs> All right, so um, our goal um, as we study these guys is that the Bible always says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or it says it a lot. Um, and so that means something. And it means a lot. And what it means is, is that we know that God is showing a piece of his character and his glory and the gospel in these men's lives. And so our goal um, is to talk about the revealing of God within their lives and how crucial it is to understanding the totality and the weightiness of what that name is for God. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it's what God actually, I mean, reveals himself to other men in the scripture as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that, mm-hmm. that's huge. I mean, he, he says that, you know, he, he's using it as his name in certain times and it, you know, it has to, I mean, it's so much more than just the fact that these were because of the men themselves, but it, it was what God did through the men's lives and what was shown through the men's lives and the, the promises given and stuff. So it's really, as uh, Christians today, very foundational to our faith. Hmm. And, and most people, and I mean, including myself up until not that long ago, uh, they're, they're just kind of Sunday school stories. Yeah. And usually there are major parts of those Sunday school stories that are completely inaccurate. And I think that's something over the last um, year and a half, well, almost two years this April, um, that God has shown me is that, you know, the some of the depictions of Abraham and Isaac, Ishmael, um, Esau and Jacob are all, and even Lot, which we'll get into some, because... Um, the way we're going to tackle this is we're we're gonna we're gonna go through these guys, but we're also gonna end up talking about people that interact in their lives. Uh, I think with Abraham, of course, we're gonna discuss Lot and Sarah and most likely Melchizedek. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun because I think that a lot of times these guys get these bad raps where people have speculated about um, things that went on, but when you actually look at the scriptures, there's some keys to showing us that. That's that's not true, and I almost feel I hate to throw out the oh the devil's got a hold of something, but sometimes I feel like that way, like that he if anything why not, you know disgrace the character of the of men that God has chosen to reveal Himself through in their lives for, I mean we you know as we've laid out before the word is what we know about God so why not attack the character of those that are within it and let's let's take the Oh, well, they're human, and let, let's let people, you know, start to have a misunderstanding of them. That some people might feel like, well, that's really minimal, but it's it's not. It's it's vast. We're talking about these are guys that God chose to do this through, and, and it's a serious thing. And I think it, it's, it's a lot of fun, too. I've really enjoyed learning about these men, and I feel like as we tackle it, we're probably going to end up seeing even some newer stuff as we talk about it. Yeah, it's I, a lot of times I think, uh, because these men have been talked about for so long, uh, pastors and stuff really read into, I, I don't know, a lot of time, it's not reading into it. There, there's so much depth with, with what happens around mm-hmm. these lives, but a lot of times to be like on the, you know, the the, the edge of it to, to grab attention and stuff, they'll, I mean, I've heard guys run these, run, run these, the characters of these guys into the ground yeah. to try to make, like say you know if God can use these guys, He can use you. Well, that when you look at it through that perspective, you're totally missing the point of everything that took place w- with these men. These men who you know Scripture tells us in Hebrews are we look up to them. You know, it's definitely been very neat to uh, see what God did to teach us through them. Yeah, and I, and I think the other piece that you and I are both hoping that we can um, display is the fact that 
we, we look at this and we realize that these men are men that even um, Jews, I mean, they look to. These are their, these are their descendants that they hold in high regard. And they do it in the New Testament, and it's the same today. And so there are things about their character and things that the scriptures talk about with them that, um, that even they would agree, agree with and see. And so I think that makes it a, a really interesting, too, because I realize we will dig into the gospel because it does even more revealing. God gives us more through that about these men and what was going on at the time. But at the same time, you know, they're, they're highly respected um, there, too. Uh, and I, it's it's uh, it's gonna be pretty neat to see, um, because I, I've thought a lot lately about how, when we get into it, that the descriptions of what the Jews believe um, at the time of Jesus about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then down the road Moses are very similar to what the Jewish community now still believe, mm-hmm. and so. Um, for me, especially as someone who works with a lot of people who have who are Jewish, and and practice their their Jewish you know practice Judaism, um, it's been neat to be able to have discussions with them about these characters, and for them to see that that God has given me an understanding of them, that doesn't fit into their typical stereotypical Christian view of these men. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of I think that'll be neat to talk about too. Um, okay, so. That's kind of our goal. Um, so, you know, we're going to start out kind of giving a... going. We're just going to go, I guess, in order there, at least as we discuss Abraham's life. We're going to start with Abraham tonight. Um, and we'll kind of flow with him through Genesis, but it's going to take us all over. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I, think, I mean, we'll, we'll be hitting different... We'll have to jump around a little bit. I mean, we start talking about Lot when Abraham and him split. We, we might hit some other spots, but hopefully it won't. It won't seem too chaotic. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's jump into it. So, Abraham isn't Abraham yet, right? That's so right. <laughs> we're in um, Abram. We're in Genesis. Let's see, chapter. We can start middle of eleven at least if we wanted to. It gives a genealogy um, from Shem to Abraham. Mm-hmm. So, so Abraham <clears throat> falls in the line of Shem. I'm guessing. Right. Right. Which uh, is. Very much a fulfillment of the prophecy that Noah was given through Noah when uh, Shem and Japheth walked in backwards to uh, honor their father, hmm. and Ham was the, actually it was Canaan the, the son of Ham Ham was cursed. Um, the fact that Christ you know Abraham is picked through the line of Shem and then Christ later comes uh fulfills all the things that were spoken about him from Noah at that point, which was the fact that um I think he says the Lord uh, It's um chapter nine verse twenty six. Okay. Yeah, he says uh, uh about Shem, he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, uh may Canaan be be the slave of Shem. You know, I never thought about this, but he's saying it's interesting that Noah is saying the God of Shem. Mm-hmm. That's his. That's who the. That's that's a character of what God has done now. Oh, yeah. And then he's going to become God of Abraham. God of Abraham. That is interesting. <laughs> I never thought about that before. Yeah. Cool. So he Noah was revealing himself, or revealing God, and even saying that the God of Shem. So the whole the whole thing there is um, starting in nine twenty four says when Noah woke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him he said cursed be Canaan the lowest of slaves will be will he be to his brothers he also said blessed be the Lord the God of Shem may Canaan be the slave of Shem may God extend the territory of Japheth may Japheth live in the tents of Shem and may Canaan be his slave so Shem. Even though Shem and Japheth both were getting a blessing here, for some reason, well, because of divine reason, Shem still in some kind of order there seems to come out with right. a greater blessing in that in that sense, or at least with more responsibility. I shouldn't say greater blessing because obviously they're both important. <clears throat> so that's that's, uh, that's Wait, pretty neat too, right? Yeah, which is good to point out because Abraham is not 
a random guy picked throughout the earth either. This this is absolutely in fulfillment to hmm. scripture and prophecy that has already taken place. Yeah. That Abraham, because if he would have picked somebody from the line of Canaan, then the word of God wouldn't, you know, it would, it would have been a lie of what Noah spoke. Hmm. So, you know, revealing how much of a prophet Noah was even after he had had his wine, obviously. Um, but, it, it, I mean, it's so deep, that prophecy even. The fact that it even says that Japheth lived in the tents of Shem. I mean, if you, there, there's a few scriptures that talk about uh, Christ in our heavenly dwelling. You know, the, the, the fact that we find refuge in his salvation you know, hmm. like living in the tent of Shem. Paul talks about the body being a tent. I mean, there's there's a lot of parallel yeah. there. It's not to get too too lost in that. Though. So we go through okay in chapter ten, following the the curse and the blessing. Um, it gives the um, genealogy of the Japhethites, Japhethites, mm-hmm. and then it gives the Hamites and the Semites. Um, so, and then we get to Tower of Babel, and now we're back to where we, we, we were talking of starting, so we get from Shem to Abraham. So Abraham falls in the line of Shem, and, um, he has an interesting life from what we see from the very beginning, but what I, what I thought is interesting is the fact that there, in, in our outline here to kind of keep us on track, um, I've marked the early life of Abraham, but we get Abraham when he's 75 years old. So, kind of interesting. Right. Um, and that's, uh, to us, that that's pretty well, that's an old man. <laughs> yeah, if you've lived to 75, you're doing pretty good. Um, so, okay. So he's called, he's called, uh, it, you, you want to get into the calling, when he, is that next part, when he was called, actually? Sure, yeah. Um, So maybe a little before that. um, Terah is Abraham's father. And so we we get into chapter 11, verse 27. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, she had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out for Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived twenty-five years, then he died in Haran. So now we get to the call of Abraham. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your Abr- your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So, what first thing to me that jumps out there, obviously, is the fact that he says, I'm going to make your name great, and we're discussing him now. And, of course, his name is great, because he, he's revealing things about God, so that's pretty cool. Right. Um, I want to point something out about the uh, the fact that the way other scripture reveals a little another piece of what may be taking place here. I mean, when you read this, you don't necessarily get the full story until you put it in the context of the entire Bible, right? Right. And so, it appears that Terah is the one who's called. He takes Abram. His grandson Lot, uh, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, and, and so on, and, and takes them. But when Stephen is giving his speech before the uh, Sanhedrin, uh, yeah, the Sanhedrin, he reveals the fact that, um, well, he says in Acts uh, chapter seven, verse two, Stephen says, uh, "Brothers and fathers, listen to me." The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to the land where you are now living. So 
I've, I've heard so many times, like, this This is called wasted years in Haran. Hmm. Like, like, a lack of faith. Like, they leave for the land of promise, they find a good place and settle there. But Stephen just laid out the fact that it says, after the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. And what, what I find really interesting about this is that when God appears to Abram in Mesopotamia, he says that God told him to leave your country and your people. Hmm. But then after the death of his father, we see, in, which is what we're reading in chapter 12 here, he says at this point to leave your country, your people, and your father's household. You see what I'm saying? Like it's it, the father's household is in here. So he didn't abandon his father until in he, after he died is when he came out from his father's household too. But it's just interesting that yeah. it adds like it really adds a dimension to it. It does. It definitely does. I think the next thing um, for that for me is that there are early signs of faith in Abraham's life. So he follows what God asks of him uh, or tells him um, to do, like like you just um, were talking about, that it was his calling and that he did do it. Um, he did follow it. Um, but then we get some early signs of his faith. And for me, that example is in Hebrews 11, chapter or chapter 11, verse 8. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Um, that, that just is really powerful to me, because it's telling us that early on Abraham had this faith to know that it was something greater, and he, mm-hmm. he's, and he shows signs of, of trusting God. And we know that, um, and I think we've talked about this before, and I know we're going to get into him, but that, that his faith was, was credited to him, um, and he, yeah, I mean, it, it's just interesting. You get this section, and Hebrews 11 gives a lot, and we're going to come back to it a lot, of course, with Abraham. Um, but it was faith, like early on, it was faith from the very beginning that um, when called to go to a place, he would later receive his inheritance. He obeyed and went. So I think it's pretty neat that we see these early signs that Abraham is going to be a man of God and great character. And I think our perspective of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, any picture we ever have of them is always living in tents and in the desert. So it doesn't seem like abnormal to us. But, right. But we, we can't uh, brush aside how monumental of a life change this was for a man like Abram, who is well-established in a city that appears to be named after his dead brother. And, and hmm. I mean, it would be, it is the same as us leaving what we have today to go live in the desert somewhere in the yeah. tent. I mean, it, it, it is the same. Like you say, well, it, things were different back then. They, they really weren't. I mean, you had your safety behind stone walls and yeah. cities and stuff. And, you know, living like a nomad was the same back then as it is now. I mean, they don't have any greater technology being a nomad today, you know? Right. So, definitely, the, the faith is... He was, he was very much a man of faith. I mean, and the, the scripture calls him the man of faith, I think, doesn't it? Somewhere. Yeah, it'd be from, um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, I'm wondering if we should read through each verse or just kind of go to some of the highlights that we've talked about um, before. I know that, so God gives him this prompt, the call. And it says that he left, and the Lord, um, had after the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. It says, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So it's interesting, we're already in the land of Canaan, which is, if I understand it correctly, is essentially land that comes from Noah's descendants. Right, so, but it's under the curse of Canaan, 
That's right. Yeah. So so he's left to kind of this land's curse. So Canaan was the was the son of Ham, who Noah specifically named out. He, he yeah. named who he Canaan. cursed because he walked in. And, and, and when you look in when you look into uh, like later on Exodus, Deuteronomy numbers and stuff, all the tribes there that make up the land of Canaan are descendants of Ham. Okay. So, so he gets into Canaan, and then down in verse seven it says, "The Lord appeared to Abram." And said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Um, so he honors the Lord. It says, From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and uh, Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. So now we've got Abraham entering Egypt. And so we get in this interesting discussion that I think up front is a character trait of Abraham that I want to kind of squash what people think so we we start to see this first time where abraham is going to call sarai his sister mm-hmm. and she's his wife <clears throat> but she's also his sister right she really she really is his sister as well it yeah I, this gets really silly with a lot of uh, a lot of things i've heard i mean i i it really is amazing. I mean, you talked about talking, you know, Satan getting his hands on things, but it really is amazing how uh, the church has become not not the whole church, but you hear so many. Like you've talked about the respect that the Jews have for for these early patriarchs, mm-hmm. and and many Christians do too. But then there's also like this this uh, it's really almost anti-Semitic in in it the way it it comes across, but like. The, the the wanting to interpret everything that these men do as a complete and utter disgrace. Mm-hmm. And, and and what takes place here is far from that. You know, it, it's just the opposite of it. Um, Sarah really is his wife. Abraham is in a very hostile, hostile land. This is the way it is, you know, where he's at. I mean, he, he's, he's obviously, from Hebrews, what you read... He's, he's following God in faith. God testifies to that. Yeah. So this incident that takes place here, I, we have to ask ourselves, you know, what... Why did God choose to tell us the, the few things about the lives of these men that he did? And, and this is one of the things that he tells us. So he either tells us this to say, look, this man is broken. I can use him. I'm going to use you. Or it's what we know... To be true about every story of the lives of J- uh, Abraham, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, is that it's it's a deep foreshadowing, and it has very, very uh, um, serious implications right. in everything that takes place. And I think you and I need to make it clear, like we tried to in our earlier episodes, that we're looking at this because it's been given to us by God for a purpose for His glory. But he has given it to us. This isn't just some story. This is a story about God. When it says, I am the God of Abraham, he's saying, I am the God of the God. And this is everything about Abraham's life that I'm revealing in it. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay, so he enters Egypt. We know it's it's part of the purpose he's been called. Um, and what I think is interesting, and there's so many different levels that we can go into in this, but... It says in verse 10 in chapter 12, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt. It's Famines are used so much for God to you know, to reveal his glory and to, to, to shape these characters and to, to do things. That's right. And we see it over and over and over again. And in that one little moment in time, the people dealing with the famine probably seems like they've been abandoned by God. But when you step back, it's got a greater purpose. Right. Which is, you know, I mean, it's easy for us to say right here as we, we're, our stomachs are full of chicken salad or whatever. Yeah, well, that's a good but, point. But, you know, Ab- Abraham brings everybody that he has there to this promised land, and there's a famine. Like, it's it's like virtually there's a calling, there's the Lord appears to him, and there's a famine. Yeah. I mean, that... <laughs> and it leads him to Egypt, which is a whole other, there's a whole other level right. to that, too. Right? This, isn't so. the, this isn't the only time we're going to see a famine that leads them to Egypt. Right. In the Old or New Testament, almost really. I mean, well, that Egypt is plays a role. I, I shouldn't say. Well, they fame apart. Flee yeah. to Egypt right. because of yeah. <clears throat> so okay, um, so he tells Sarah that she's beautiful and she he knows how beautiful she is and that he tells that an Egyptian seer that 
um, they'll kill him if they know that she's his wife. But if um, he says, so say you are my sister so that I will be uh, treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, and he was right. It says, uh, when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. She was taken to his palace. He treated Abraham well for her sake. Abraham acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, maidservants, men servants, and camels. So you look at this right here and you say what I've often heard. Okay, so here's Abraham benefiting from this lie, right? Right. And um, I've heard people like saying like he's whoring his wife out. Right. Stuff. I mean, it gets it gets ridiculous. What but what's actually what we know is happening, and, and hopefully what we'll be able to demonstrate now is that in this, God is revealing His Himself. To, the to Pharaoh as well, and we're going to see how that plays a role later, or how we would expect it to play a role later. Um, perhaps maybe we should step back for one second and show how we know that Sarai is Abram's sister. Okay. Um, Genesis uh, twenty-seven, twenty verse seven, I think. Okay. <clears throat> Which would be the. Uh, that this happens one other time with Abraham and Abimelech. Um, the same thing takes place. It, it, it lays out a little differently, but in it is the, uh, let me see. Uh, well, no, that verse down in 11, when Abraham's replying to Abimelech, what was your reason for doing this? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse 11, Abraham replied, um, and he's, he's speaking to Abimelech about, uh, Abimelech asks him what you just said, what is your reason for doing this? Abraham replies, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Uh, besides, she, they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love for me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So, later on, Abimelech says to Sarah, in verse 16, to Sarah he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you, you are you are completely vindicated. So it's yeah. it's it's obvious, you know. First of all, he's not lying about. I mean, because it could. I mean, like he lied before. He could be lying about this. He's not lying. She really. She is. Here, here's the thing. Is it Abraham's sin that these men are wicked enough to come and take his wife? Hmm. You know what I mean? Right. No, it's not. It's it, it's so funny how it gets pinned on Abraham. What about Pharaoh? What about Abimelech? Who, what you just pointed out, they develop, they, they are given, not developed, they are given a fear of God through this. Yeah. Right. And what's interesting, even deeper than that, and we'll get to eventually, is we see something similar happen in Abraham's descendants. Mm-hmm. Or some, it's Isaac, right, that says... <clears throat> It, we, we see it later, and, and we'll we'll get to that. But it's also another foreshadowing, and we, um, you know, there's a lot to be seen in that. Um, I think what's interesting, and we'll, we'll come back to this again, but it made me think of the the first Peter verse in chapter three, where we learn a little bit about the character of Sarah and how it's also used. Um, starting first Peter chapter three, let's see, verse um, five. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Give way to fear. Right. So she she trusts what Abraham was doing. And I think it's interesting that, you know, that Abraham says, you know, um, that I be treated well for your sake. So he's also wanting to... Um, it's not. It's not like this selfish motive. It's. Mm-hmm. It's. It's a family protection thing, but yet, it to me the first Peter and there's some other verses that seem to also suggest not only is God trying to put a fear in them, 
um, that, that would do this. But at the same time, it's used to show their character and to reveal that God, this is the way he wanted it to be. I mean, um, for this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. Right. So they became beautiful through this hope they put in God by demonstrating their willingness to do this. Right. So Sarah doing this was very much first time Sarah, second time Sarah. Right. Very much a part of what I mean, what you might say her beauty, her righteousness being yeah. being revealed by God, which we know any righteous act that we might have is because God did through us or gave us it and it goes goes to God. Hmm. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. So this is very much for the bride as much. I mean, so, so the next thing we see is that um, in 17, um, in chapter 12 of Genesis, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. So, I mean, obviously Abraham ended up being protected in it by God, sent away and protected, and Sarah protected, and God protected her too. So it's like, you know, if, if Abraham's lying and it was it, it's like it's been depicted, then God acted in a way that you would think maybe he probably wouldn't, given the description that others give. So I think that's... That's know. true. And, and, and there... If you're going to get conclude from this that Abraham is a scumbag liar, you're not going to get it from the things God says about it. You're not going to mm. get it from anything in the story because later on with Abimelech, God testifies. You know, he he says to Abimelech in the dream. Uh, that that was the first verse I went to an accident was in in verse seven, chapter twenty. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, uh, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. So we know that he's a prophet. He says to Sarai, um, when they enter Egypt, he says, uh, they will take notice of, of your beauty. They will they'll want to take you, basically. I'm you know, paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. If you say you are my sister, they will treat me well for your sake and we will live. That is exactly what takes place. They notice her beauty. They praise her to Pharaoh. Abram and Sarai both are treated very well because the fact that Sarai did not give way to fear, just like Peter reveals. Mm-hmm. And God delivers them. You, you know, it, it, it's like he is a prophet and it happens exactly the way. So it if it happened exactly the way he said it would happen when she listened to him, what would happen if she gave way to fear and said... And you know, and said something rash, they probably would have been killed. You know. Yeah, <clears throat> I think uh, another a uh, couple things that I think when you you share that is that the first Peter verse suggests that um, her beauty increases or is there because of her willing to be submissive and not the negative connotations of the word submissive in our culture, mm-hmm. but submissive and allowing him to lead like like the church is submissive to Christ. Okay, right. so let's 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 keep that in perspective. What's true in that, um, and then so she gets this beauty, and then now she's this example. Um, but also that it's like you said, God tells it. God Himself tells Abimelech that He's going to die. He'll be killed if not if He doesn't do what He what He should do. Mm-hmm. And God's just, right? And and so. That in itself, I mean, who, who greater to use, like you said, it's not God's word that would give you that idea. And I, and I think that that's, uh, that's, that's a great way to put that. It's, it's really cool. Well, we very much uh, see the, the fear of God that was given to Abimelech when he meets Isaac. Because when the same thing happens with Isaac, Abimelech is terrified. Yeah. And, and I mean, to the point to where there's a treaty made. And and Isaac has the ability to live in the land for a long time. Yeah, under peace. And these are the Philistines. Abimelech was the king of the Philistines. Who Israel in the war with Philistines is is you know I mean it's huge. Right. What takes place. So it's it's, it's I mean there there a bigger part of it, and it's it's you know we can brush it, 
we have a bride that is in captivity in Egypt. We have diseases that are put upon Pharaoh's household for the releasing of that bride. And, and it is absolutely pointing to uh, Israel, the Hebrews that were in slavery, and, and the diseases that came when Moses spoke to Pharaoh, and the mm-hmm. releasing of uh, who, who is said in the scriptures to be the bride of God, too. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then also, even on a grander scale... Um, Jerusalem is figuratively called Egypt, and this sounds strange, but this is what the scriptures do with this. It calls Jerusalem Egypt figuratively in certain spots because there's a great releasing of the captives. When Christ comes, he releases the slaves to law and death, and they're brought out, and guess who they are? They're the bride yeah. of Christ, and they're also his his sisters and brothers too. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, and the children of him as well, the descendants, right? Yeah. Well, and we actually see that. And, and earlier I thought maybe we'd start with that, but that's a, a good point to talk about, like, how how Abraham's viewed today. <coughs> Excuse me. And if we if we go to John 8, um, chapter 8, verse 31, um, this is, is kind of um, Jesus, and he's talking with the, with the Jews. Um. And uh, it says, to the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We were just alluding to. (laughs) They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? That doesn't even make sense because, you know, they were. Yeah, I mean, they're slaves to Rome at this very moment. Right. But it's, uh, so that's interesting. And then, so Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the things your own father does. Um, we are not illegitimate children, they protest. The only father we have is God himself. So Abraham, so Jesus is saying, okay, yeah, you're right. You're descendants in your term of descendants in that in genealogy-wise you're Abraham's children. But if you were truly Abraham's children, then you would do the things he did. Mm-hmm. And he... Um, Jesus says, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things because Abraham told the truth that came from God. Right. So it goes not only back um, to what we were saying before about what God tells us about Abraham, but just in talking about um, like what you were just... just no, that's about. a good point because then he points out the fact that they're doing their fathers. Later on, he calls their father, the, you know, the devil, who was right. a liar from the beginning. I guess that's later on in this chapter. That, yeah. That's a good point. And what's interesting, too, I mean, just to kind of go off sidetrack, they say we're not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. And then later on, they're ready to stone Jesus because he's, they say that you say God is your father. Right. And that's blasphemy. So it's kind of as it gets out right. But the thing is, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it, it's really neat to see. And, and yet, if you, even today, the viewpoint of being descendants of Abraham holds high value that they fall in the line of Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um, and rightfully so. Right. But I, I think that <clears throat> us being grafted in and knowing what that means, we've been set free by Christ, and we are descendants of Abraham, true descendants of Abraham. Um, and, and there's a definite, like, the, I think that gets lost on a lot of people. Yeah. The, the fact that we are able to be grafted into this, this happening that's yeah. taking place, it, it's so huge. You know, it's such a privilege to be, to to be called not only uh, children of God because we're sons of God now, but to be children of Abraham through faith. Right. It, it's, I mean, because when you look at men like these, like you, you can, I mean, people who don't have uh, physical fathers or have had, you know. 
times in their life to where they couldn't find that inspiration. I mean, men, men can really look to these guys as fathers too. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 definitely big. But it, it's you you're this brings up the fact that um, to a lot of Jews at the time of Christ, and we're talking about uh, the uh, how the Jews viewed Abraham. He was. Abraham was was definitely a lineage and a birthright to them, to the land and to the promises, to the temple worship, to these things. That he was he was their rightful, um, how would you say? I mean, I guess it'd be birthright, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, because they were rightfully children of Abraham. Uh, but what happened was a lot of them did not combine that with faith, and it was strictly a birthright. I think. I mean, I think that's how they they came into the state because, as Jesus said, you don't do the things Abraham did. We know that Abraham did the stuff through faith, right? It's so. I think to to those who believe, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are. Um, I mean, these are the guys <clears throat> that God gave His word to. Uh, to give us light in this dark world where he started. Mm-hmm. You know, th- these are the guys that everything he did through them was to make known his name and the glory it has. And in that glory, we might have life. So when we look at these guys, I mean, that's that's the perspective of a believer looking back at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob right. and what was done. Plus, they're, they're the living, right? So... But I think it's interesting to continue talking about um, kind of what we were just given kind of a, an, also an overview at the same time of Abraham. And, um, you know, one of my fa- kind of favorite section, uh, sections of Scripture that I go back to a lot is when um, the rich man dies and he's with Laz- you know, Lazarus is in heaven and the rich man's in hell. And there's this, you know, mm-hmm. excuse me, Abraham shows up on this scene again. Well, it's just like you said earlier. Um, read from the scripture earlier, Abraham is still a prophet, and he's and he's prophesying now because he's still alive, and even then he's he's giving prophecy, saying you know if they, or or explaining or giving truth, because um, that's what prophecy is. Mm-hmm. But um, in Luke twenty, um, in verse thirty-seven, it says, um, talking about uh, Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Um, I guess, I, don't, I guess what made me think about it is just the fact that Abraham is still being used by God in the New Testament, and it's not just in this description, but we we actually hear from Abraham in the Old and New Testament. Right. And how many? I don't know. This would be interesting to find out. But how many characters do we see where we have a words that come from that character in the Old Testament and the New Testament outside of Christ himself being the word in the beginning. And we know that we see Christ and, and there are things of God that are said about Christ in the New Testament and he says them again in the Old um, and reveals more about them. But Abraham is one of those characters. So you got to consider that too when you when you think of somebody getting up and saying, well, he was a liar and he was whoring his wife out so that he could get more cattle or, or whatever. Right. In my, I mean, and this is somewhat speculation, but in when he leaves a land that appears to be named after his uncle, Haran, you, that's his uncle, right? Or his dad? No, that'd be his, his brother. His brother, yeah. yeah. So when he leaves this land, um, it seems to me like he already has a lot of possessions. It says the people that they had gotten as well. So he's got people that work for him. So it's not like he's this... Poor person. I mean, he shows up in, in Pharaoh's land, and people pay attention to him and see that his wife is beautiful. But he's obviously given some sort of respect. It's not like he's just some dude and a girl that strolled in. I mean, it seems yeah, like they didn't just he like made a presence. Her. You know, yeah. You know, he he showed up with some things. So even on the surface level of just discussing that, it seems almost silly. But also mm-hmm. this other stuff that we've seen in Old Testament. Well, I love that the, <clears throat> especially the. The fact that you're talking about the God of the living, how Jesus uses that mm. simple name that was 
built by God's word. I mean, God did this. I mean, this has meaning. Don't you know he's called the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I mean, this was, the Sadducees came to him with this long, complicated question about so-and-so died, you know, this wife had four or five of the brothers or something. I mean, this long human argument. Hmm. And, And Jesus, in doing, in referring to the name, refers to the word of God in truth. Yeah, I mean, because that's what it refers to. It refers to the promises. Yep, and and the fact that he's the God of the living, he chose those names to reveal the fact that he is the God of the living. I mean, he didn't say the God of Noah, which we know Noah was a great man that God did many things through. You, you know what I mean? Yeah. And the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because it's the promises given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham first. Yep. Yeah, it's just monumentally huge. All right, so the in the next section we get uh, we get Abraham and Lot. They they decide to separate, and um, there there's something that you and I both know is huge in this because um, I uh, you're gonna hear me defend Lot, no pun or pun intended, a lot because he he is given a bad rap. For a guy who was righteous, and um, and this is this is kind of where it begins. A lot of people want to say about Lot. Well, you know, he he went to live in Sodom, and he and he wanted to be around all this nastiness and whatever. And I believe, and I know I'm pretty sure that you do, that Lot is an example of kind of how we even live today as Christians and believers in in the world. Um, so, and the reason I bring that up, and we'll get to it more um, and deeper eventually, but. Um, in Genesis 13, Abraham and Lot separate because they're both they're gaining so much possessions and shepherds and whatnot that um, uh, quarreling arose between their herdsmen, not between each other. The Bible says in verse 7 of chapter 13, Genesis, and quarreling arose between Abraham's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. Um, and it's interesting, it throws in the Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at this time. Um so Abraham said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not which that's interesting in itself because he's his uncle, right. but they're brothers because I believe they're both believers. Or maybe maybe he's lying again. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that's funny. Alright, so um is not the whole land before you? Let's let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So um says, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, towards Zor. Um, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. So why did Lot choose to go that way? He chose it because it looked plentiful. It looked like the garden of the Lord. Why would you not choose that? Exactly. I would. I mean, I don't. You don't stroll into an area and pick a neighborhood because it looks awful. Oh, look! I mean, that that place is like a desert. Let's go there. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have trouble finding water for all of our cattle. Let's go over there. Yeah. You know. I mean, and, and seriously, Lot could have said, "I'm gonna stay here," and made Abram Abram move, but he didn't. You right. know, he said, I, "I, you know, I'll go." Right. Let's and I, that's big to me. Yeah. I, you know. I mean that shows humility in my my. I mean, because you're already established there. I mean, well, why don't you go? But obviously, you know, he was willing to leave. So, so I think I mean that that's key <laughs> to to what we're going to see later on with Lot. Um, it really is silly how. I mean that I, I I've got a Bible that in the commentary that or in the little notes that's called Lot's first backsliding. <laughs> <laughs> choosing the well-watered land. Okay, you know what? What shepherd would not choose water for his sheep anyway? And, right. and it looks like the Garden of the Lord. Well, I mean, yeah, it looks like the Garden of the Lord. I mean, he, he wasn't in the Garden of the Lord, so it was enticing. And, and God's revealing us in Scripture, like, I mean, who wouldn't choose it? And, I mean, Abraham gives him the choice. That's a good point. Maybe that's why that says that, is it's, it's referring to the fact of that this was... It's what you just said. Why wouldn't he have... this? I made him choose this. Well, he also follows that with, like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Well, what do we know about Egypt at this point? We know that when there's been a famine, it, yeah. people went to Egypt. Because it, it's plentiful. That way. Right. right? It still is. It's got, we've got the Nile and all this uh, floods, right? Yeah. So, 
I, I got to lay that out early because we're going to get into Lot in a later episode. And um, he, he, is, he, along with Jacob, have quickly become one of my um, favorite characters to, to discuss because he, he gets a bad rap. He um, really is. He really is a, a, you know, to say a hero of the faith. He is. He, yeah. he is a picture of a believer living in a broken world. So next, he you know he gets near Sodom, and, and then before we know it, before not before long, um, in chapter fourteen, um, Lot needs rescuing. Um, he's been uh, what captured essentially mm-hmm. by some kings, and a war breaks out. And um, it's funny. I remember you saying that you know we make movies nowadays about some things, and um, a famous movie not too long ago was the movie 300 about, I guess the Spartans and then what it's about mm-hmm. and, um, how they, they, def- you know, they, they put up this grandstand and, and all this stuff, but and they the, all died. Right. The original 300 happens with Abraham with the, with the power of God defeating all these Kings with 318 men yet they, they live. Right. Which is... <clears throat> the 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 scripture reveals that the force that Abram went up with went up against with his trained army that was in his house, which is another interesting thing that Abram had a trained army in his household. Um, Ketelamer and the kings allied with him were very powerful. They defeated all of the kings of Sodom. They they also defeated the uh, Rephites which Deuteronomy refers to as a very strong and tall people. And Og was the king of Bashan. He was a Rephite, and his bed was 13 feet long. So these guys had the, uh, the, the image of a very big people that Ketelamer and the kings allied with them defeated on their way to defeat the kings of Sodom. Okay. And then, and then Ketelamer and the allies... Defeat the kings of Sodom. Uh, he also defeats the Emites, who are descendants of the Nephilim, who, the, when when the children of Israel come in, are scared to death of even the looks of them. They don't even yeah. know if they're trained for battle uh, because they're so tall. And um, Abram takes 318 men and routes this army that has essentially just conquered the whole known area right there. And and this Ketelammer is on his way to being a conqueror. I mean, that's yeah. how that's how you become, that's how you start to build empires, right? I mean, you yeah. conquer all the people around. Three hundred eighteen men. He he goes and routs them. It's it's a very powerful story in there. It's it's there's not much about it, you know. And what's interesting is it says these trained men were born in his household, so it's not like he's hired three hundred eighteen men from like the best he can find that aren't involved in this they all came from his household that's in um in verse 14 they're not mercenaries um but yeah and it says during the night abraham divided his men to attack them and he routed them pursuing them as far as hoba north of damascus so i mean they they didn't just win they freaking routed them these guys are running but i i think what's um what's also interesting here to consider later on is that Obviously, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are going to know the story. They're going to know that Abraham was rescued, that there's this, this history to his family, wouldn't mm-hmm. you think? So, um, Well, that, that's another good point, too, is that Lot, had Lot not have been carried off, would, uh, would the kings of Sodom have been rescued? Because Abram went there because of Lot being taken. And which which also leaves the question of why would wicked kings like that be rescued from a man of God? Which this is the way the world works. This is the way it is. You know, cert, the weeds and the wheat grow together. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, the I hope we need to, we do need to talk about the fact the garden of the Lord part because that that is really big. There's a lot of ironies in that, and I don't know. if you want to talk about that later? You want to look at it? No, we can do it now. Well, the, the, the fact that it calls it like the Garden of the Lord, um, <clears throat> it's interesting that, because it, it, it says like in the next verse, I think it says, okay, Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered like the Garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt towards Zoar, which ironically is where Lot is going to flee to. 
Hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's like right there. He looks at it. It looks like the Garden of the Lord. In the end, it's going to bite like a serpent. And he's going to be fleeing. To a cave. Yeah. To a cave. So, and then, it, you know, obviously it says this was before he destroyed Sodom. In verse um, 13, right before we kind of leave this picture of Lot looking down, it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. So, to be fair, people who look at this and say, Well, Lot should have known, because it says right there that the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning against the, the Lord. So when he when he looked down there, here's the question. Did he see open orgies and debauchery and knew that it was sin and was drawn towards the sin, or was he drawn towards something that looked like Garden Lord? Because they're two different things, man. The sin did not uh, grow in the Garden of the Lord. It was banished. Yeah. And then it says the men of, you know, Sodom were wicked at the time he looked down there. But Ezekiel reveals that the what happens later in Sodom, which we all know when they all come to have sex with the angels, is the culmination of it. But in Ezekiel chapter 16, 49, it turn to It reveals that the sin of Sodom, it says, Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Uh, she and her daughters, which there, there is a very much, the, the context is important. It does not change the fact that this is telling us what the sin of Sodom is. You know, so I don't have to read the verse before. Um, the, she and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore... I did away with them, as you have seen. Um, so it, it talks about they did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things. So right off the bat, we have a, a uh, an uncaring for the poor. Mm -hmm. the, the, right? I mean, you, you have the, actually, you have a picture of a very rich, vibrant place because yeah. it, you know what I mean? Like, most times we picture this dark place where you can't walk outside without being murdered, but that's not... This kind of reminds me more of America, you know, like in, in a... Uh, not America, but in the way of success. Kind of a mentality, at least. A success, yeah. you know what I mean? Okay. Not so much of look down there like it looks like Las Vegas, maybe. It, it may look fairly normal, you know, from that. Um... And then Revelation compares Sodom to Jerusalem as well, which we know that Jerusalem at the time of Christ looked like the Garden of the Lord as well, because the Garden of the Lord was where the Lord dwelt, and Jerusalem was supposed to be where the Lord dwelt in the temple as well. So I, I, the point about it is that it very it, 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 it may have had very little appearance of outward sin. Does that make any sense? Yeah. It does. I don't know really how to wrap this up around um, what's said in Isaiah 51 about. Um, so it says, uh, um, starting in verse 2, Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave you birth. When I called him, he was but one, and I blessed him and made him many. The Lord will surely comfort Zion and will look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Julian's Zionist will be found in her Thanksgiving time seeing. So you get this like flip side of it. Mm -hmm. um, which I think is also interesting. And I, the only reason I bring that up is because a lot of times um, we've talked about how we, we can study scripture is that God will unlock scripture with scripture. So you can search for a, the phrase like Garden of the Lord and find other pieces that reveal what that means. So we're learning, well, he's describing it as a garden Lord. Well, what does that mean outside of what we know of Eden? Well, it means a lot because he uses it as a description later to say, it's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, when here, when he's talking about the salvation for Zion, he's describing that it's going to be like the garden Lord. He's going to take a wasteland and a desert and make it like Eden. Mm -hmm. And so 
someone could actually argue, well, the garden of the Lord may not be like Eden. It might not be the same thing. Well, this verse will show us that he will make her deserts like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. They're, they're, they're the down. same. Yeah. Well watered, too. It, it actually, Lot says it was well watered like yeah. the garden of the Lord. Yeah. And, and actually, in this Isaiah verse that you just pointed out, we know that Christ was the spring of which the, the living water, you know, w- was to flow through. Right. Which gives a picture of returning to this garden state, you know, once Christ came. Right. And I, I think, um, even as you get into it even more, Abraham becomes this character not only that reveals God about God to us, he's he's been doing it in Lot's life. And and I and I don't believe that he would hide any of these things from from Lot. Right. You know, so um there's a lot to be said to that. It, um, so, okay, so our goal, our, our overall goal is, is to kind of cover, um, cover these folks and Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all those uh, surrounding them um, and realize how much can be seen in it. And, and there's a lot. Um, and I think in our next section, we're going to get um, right here, we see um, this guy, this mysterious Melchizedek come out. And offer bread and wine. Um, I think that's a good one for episode four. What do you think? Yeah, I think that. Uh, there's a lot there. Um, I've said that a lot. We don't, we don't mean a lot. Well, a lot could have been there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I guess he was there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so just to kind of to sum that just that part up, and then we'll give an overall summary is to realize that um, the king of Sodom actually comes out and meets Abraham before Melchizedek comes out. So mm. um, that's kind of interesting considering what, what, you know, it's a story that most people know, even from childhood books, that, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah doesn't go well. So for the king of Sodom to come out and have already met Abraham prior to all of that stuff happening is, um, that's kind of interesting. But um, we'll get into that next week. So overall, Abraham is a good dude. He's a great, he's an amazing guy, and it's going to be fun to see what, what God... Um, Continues to reveal in that. So, um, there's a lot, a lot of faith to be found in studying the lives of these men. And, uh, and faith and understanding of the, just God's, God's character, his patience, and his sovereignty, and, um, and the fact that he, he gives us what we have of them. And it changes. It, I think faith, it, faith is, as I've realized over the last two years that it's been given to me, it really changes my outlook on Christianity and, and those kind of interactions themselves because it's not it's not of anything that I've earned or understood. It's because he's given it, um, which is to some people probably a little scary, but when you realize how much that sets us free, like we talked about tonight, it gives you this 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 grand purpose like where... If God wanted to take any of us and have 318 men born in our household to go out and and do something great for Him, He could do it without batting an eyelash, you know. Right. It's, uh, it's really neat to think about His His grand design of things, and I really want to know what it's like, what the Garden of the Lord looks like. And we know that one day we will see something greater than that and the fact that we'll get, get to be with him and and for now it's like we talk about the garden of the lord but we really our rest comes starts with the promises given to abraham isaac and jacob and stuff and, and understanding those promises and, and where and i mean i you know we didn't really hit the fact that it really is jesus giving his promises to them it's the word of god coming to them who is christ you right know, we know that jesus is the word of god and it's uh, there's a lot of rest in the in the the wisdom that God gives through. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, you want to close us in prayer? You want me to do it? I can. Since I forgot to open us in prayer. In, you're in the corner, sir. This is true. Lord, uh, thank you once again for letting us get together and talk about your word. And the uh, truth that we feel like you've written on our hearts. We just ask, Lord, that 
you enable us to speak it with truth, to um, let it always strike emotion in our hearts, not to become um, redundant in our minds, and, and it, it, it's given us worship. Uh, we just ask, Lord, that in this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, the true meanings of, of what you wanted to reveal through their lives and the stories that you gave us about, the, the very few stories you gave us about these men, that it, it would be what you want to be revealed, and that utmost it would give glory to Jesus and to you and all you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.